professionals. No, I won't give in, I won't give in till I'm victorious. And I will defend, I will defend. Simon Pagano is the 2016 Verizon Home Car Series champion. Good evening and welcome to episode 58 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I'm your friendly neighbour, Mr. Andre Harrison, and with me as always, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yeah, hopefully third time since you <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think we've got some explaining to do for this inside joke. Um, you may have seen it on our Twitter pages um, on Wednesday night when we were originally meant to record the show. But what happened was, was that um, we stopped about halfway through the show to check the Zencaster recording and it find and it, you know we find out that only two thirds of our audio was not here. My audio had gone missing and that's kind of important given that I am the guy that hosts the actual friggin' podcast. So that went missing. We've basically been abusing Zencaster for so much it's basically stopped working on us twice now. <laughs> so now we're stuck going back to the old school methods of recording this podcast back in the old days, which is literally breaking out audacity and trying to sync our voices up. We're really good at this you guys we're really good at podcasting (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully third time around we'll get this right because second time around king botched the intro for the reason if he forgot to to actually plug in his headsets on audacity yeah well well played king well played (laughs) you can see he's rusty from from (laughs) yeah when you when you completely forget to to have your microphone selected when you start recording just sad Indeed. Um, also, we are short one Johnson this time around because, unfortunately, he's got a social life these days. What a bastard. Yeah, I, I almost missed this show because I have a social life. Yeah, basically, because he's from... Because, uh, in case you guys didn't know already, King is from New York City, and a certain famous Olympian happens to be in the area today. Isn't that right, Mr. King? Oh, oh yeah, that I missed out on. Yeah, that I missed out on, but my other, <laughs> my other social engagement I will be able to make... <laughs> Well, what social engagement is this, King? I'm uh, going to an event at the YouTube space in New York, here, downtown, Ooh. yeah. Can you, can you tell us to send them some subs our way while, while you're down there? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. So I'll, I'll go tell John Green's wife to shout <laughs> us out on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> that works. Hey man, like like Johnson supports Wimbledon. John Green supports Wimbledon. Like, look, look, man, it's like you you help us, help you help us, isn't it? Oh, but John <laughs> Green also supports Liverpool, though. Ooh, well, <laughs> given we're also a pair of Manchester United fans, that could also be a bit of a problem. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not willing to sell out for the other shade of red. <laughs> <laughs> That, 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 like, that might be a problem. But um, speaking of that, we, we just crossed 1,000 subscribers on Monday. So we'd like to say a massive thank you to everybody that's been supporting us on YouTube since our inception. I think that was back in January now. So to get to 1,000 subs again is a... Is a awesome awesome achievement so thanks to everybody that's been that's been watching liking supporting us on there um special thanks to, of course to my cohort mr ryan king he was the mvp in the early stages of the youtube channel he made so many videos for us without even a thank you because the, <laughs> the man is a bloody legend so king i salute you sir as always thank um, you i i appreciate yeah. it <laughs> 
Yeah, you're a goddamn legend, sir. Thanks to Adam, he's done a couple of vids for us. Thanks to Emily De Silva, who's done a couple of videos for us. She's been awesome. And thanks to Connor Pearson, aka Nord the Dragon. He's done a fantastic job of plugging us on Reddit to the point where everybody's now sick of him over there. <laughs> so, so thanks to him for plugging all our work on the F1 subreddit as well. He's a great, great guy, great friend of the show, and we really appreciate him um, as well. Thanks to all our Patreon backers: Parker Zaglin, Tyler Small, Jake Callahan, Rhino GT4. Shout out to him as always. Jack Webb, Tom Stanley. Carl Seleski, Josh Satil, Miles Pardo, and Evan Manley, all our Patreon backers. If you really like the show, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. There's some cool new perks on there as well, including merchandise and all the shout-out opportunities you could possibly wish to have for in your life. So if you ever want to get your name out and want to plug a product on here, you know, that's where the best bet is to find us. Like, we're like cheap and conservative. We're really friendly for the Army King. Competitive rates. <laughs> Competitive rates. <laughs> I also want to say shout out to Jake Cannon as well because he's, he's been our longest running Patreon back of seven months he's been backing us now what a goddamn legend um, so shout out to Jake especially shout out to him as well also you can find us on Facebook and Twitter the the podcast is on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 and we are show ha- now has its own official Twitter page in case you didn't hear it on last week's show it's at motorsport underscore 101 shout out to the bastard that took the original username without the underscore in it for no good reason and it's a dead account now and that makes me really angry god <laughs> god damn it the world I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, the world of dead twitter usernames it's 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 a vast and endless chasm uh, basically at this point and if you want to follow us personally on twitter i'm at harrison 101 hd and king is on twitter at ryan eric king that's with two k's in there it's, it's the other way of spelling it basically Without further ado, we'll go right into into keeping keeping it one hundred one this time around, and uh, we're going to get serious on this podcast for a minute. We don't do that very often around here, Kings. I know you haven't really got you didn't really have a um, keeping it one hundred one topic this time around, but you yeah. kind of piggybacked off my one anyway. So sod it. We'll go. We'll, we'll focus on that this time around. Um, yeah, I know Johnson wanted to talk about the Paralympics, but we'll probably save that for when he's on the show next week. <laughs> Yes, yes, because again, he's too busy having a social life. The bastard! <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, there you go. Um, also, shout out to RJ O'Connor, who was desperate to get on this show, but he can't be with us tonight as well. He's come through us on so many occasions already, but uh, we'll, we'll get him back on. So I know you guys really like him, so we'll get him back on here soon, I promise. Um, but... I wanted to talk about Colin Kaepernick, and uh, and trust me, King. Like every American listener, just went, "Uh oh!" Yeah, just just <laughs> just either a gasp or a sigh, <laughs> or they just stopped listening. Just <laughs> 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 the post, like, "No, no, we, we're not going down this road, Dre. Stick to sports. Um, <laughs> this is sports." <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 King. We're talking about racial politics and police brutality. It's very important. Um, stick to sports, man. No, but in all in all seriousness, like I wanted. To talk about this a lot because I'm, I'm I'm sure many of you who are into your sports are well aware of what Colin Kaepernick got up to um, during the start of the NFL season in preseason. He kneeled during the national anthem, um, which is obviously American tradition. They paid they played the national anthem, but they played I think since 2009 they've been playing the national anthem 
before any, any before all the NFL games. And Kaepernick took a knee during the national anthem. He did not stand, which is the usual tradition that people do um, in American sports. They stand during the national anthem. Kaepernick did not. He took a knee during said national anthem. And when he was asked about this by the press, he he uh, he talked about how he felt like it. He wasn't going to stand for the anthem because he felt like people of color in the United States. Um, were not given the same opportunities, and that many of them, you know, were getting murdered by police brutality. That was a, that was something he's mentioned about in detail, um, and he felt like it. You know, he didn't want to stand for something in the country that you know the, the country has clearly got problems, and it's. Obviously, it's had a, a massive amount of national conversations in the sports world, in the political world, in the world of media regarding standing for the national anthem. And of course, America being, you know, an incredibly patriotic country, it's going to get people talking. It's like someone lighting a match to a to a barrel of oil for it, basically, and seeing what happens next. And it's it's spread out across America and into the world of motorsport. And I was me personally, I was very disappointed by two people's reactions to what Colin Kaepernick did. And one of them was Tony Stewart in NASCAR, who called Kaepernick an idiot for, um, for, for, you know, for, you know, not standing for the national anthem and said, you know, he doesn't know what police officers go through. And, um, he was absolutely eviscerated on Twitter for it. Um, rightly or wrongly I'll let you be the judge on that one um, and the other one came from the world of IndyCar and it's it's Graham Rahal and it's it, something I'm going to go into here King because like Graham Rahal backs military based charities as part of his IndyCar team yes. um, at RL Racing and I think he does laps for troops where every lap he competes he donates a certain amount to um, military based charities which is you know awesome it's a great gesture of course no one's denying that for a minute but of course when we talk about the American flag in the States a lot of it you know, ties back into the military and you know, Kaepernick taking the knee was apparently a shot at their a shot at the Americans' veterans, even though that's not strictly speaking true. Um, I mean, King, what is your take on all this? Because it's been it's been a crazy story to say the least. Obviously, this is like a national story that you know has got a lot of heads turn, turning, and you know it's spread to our humble little world of motorsport, and it's been eye raising and for me a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I, I would say the reaction is definitely disappointing because mm. I think it's been mentioned in other places that I'm going to mention it here where more focus has been taken on the act of protesting than the issues mm-hmm. he's been protesting themselves and everyone's saying, like, it's not the right time or place to protest. And then mm. in my mind, it's like, when is the right time or right place to have a protest? It's like, if, if a protest isn't doesn't piss anybody off and it doesn't make a message or make a point it's not a very good protest like the entire point of a protest is to ruffle some feathers and it's it's been accelerated even more given the tragic um shooting of terence crutcher that that was just 48 hours ago yeah um at the, at the time of recording in the united states and I know even more people like like golden state warriors head coach steve Kerr's come out and talked about how 
part of the part of this country is disgusting, and of course it it just accelerates that conversation even further as another seemingly innocent black man got shot by the police. Yeah, like um, the riots had taken mm, place in other motorsport related. Charlotte, yeah, it was in mm, Charlotte, and they smashed windows at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Yeah, oh dear, and. It's, it's 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 not good, and I don't I don't condone vandalism as part of a protest. But at the same time, people have got every right to be pissed off. And the more this happens in the states, the more I think it vindicates what Kaepernick did and drawing attention to it. Because even as a British man from the other side of the pond who you know likes to think he's fairly in tune with U.S. culture, follows a ton of U.S. sports and, you know, is never really far away from from those kind of stories in the States. Because, again, like I'd say about half my followers are American, you know. So, you know, I basically call myself an honorary American at this point. Um, but it's, it's awful. And, you know, Ray Hall has gone out of it. It's not like he's just doing his normal work of promoting the military like he always does. And, you know, there's nothing... I said it before, I'll disclaim it again right here. I have no problem with the US military at all, of course. And that's the problem here. Is like These can easily be misconstrued, which I think was was also part of Kaepernick's message in the first place that's been blowing out of proportion about the military side of it all because many veterans have come out and spoken in support of Colin Kaepernick and how, you know, fighting to defend America's freedom is ultimately what Kaepernick is doing. You know, he's exercising the freedom that we fought for, etc. But Ray Hall has gone out of his way to have very subtle, thinly shaded remarks at people like Kaepernick. And it's it's disappointing because like he's you know like he's he's posted pictures of him on his Instagram hanging out with people from the military that you know have suffered limb damage and whatnot and again there's nothing wrong in that and of course he's he's totally within his rights to support that but he's also saying like this is why you stand for the national anthem because this guy can't and Ray Hall's not one of those people because I do I think he's sincere and I think he does genuinely care about the military and that's great but a lot of people just use it as a shield to weaken Kaepernick's point and say, oh, this is why you stand for the anthem, this is why the flag is awesome. And Ray Hall has been, like, very subtly throwing shade at Kaepernick for that on Twitter. Like, like this is why you stand. I watch this awesome film on a plane. This is why you should stand for the national anthem. I'm here with this sergeant. This is why you should stand for the national anthem. I'm like, oh, for God's sake, Ray Hall, put a sock in it. And it's like, it's like seriously, it's, it's, it's blissful ignorance. And... Exactly like you say, King. It it's not the like it's the people aren't angry because of people are trying to deny what's going on in America. People are 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 criticizing the act itself, which I think is just the most blissfully ignorant thing you can do in this situation. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like <laughs> oh, how dare you annoy my football Sunday by by bringing these political issues to my face. Stick to sport, man. Stick to sports, man. Sports, sports is my escape from this, which my response has always been the same. Sports and politics are intertwined, joined at the hip. They're, they're Siamese twins. Yeah. Like, 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 it, like, it, it, sports and politics have been intertwined since antiquity. Like, the Olympic Games, the ancient Olympic Games, were a political event. Exactly. Like, sports and politics are joined at the hip. There is no getting away from this. People... People who want to be blissfully ignorant will often use sports as their escape from "quote unquote" the real world. Of you know, you know, obviously in America, it's, it's an election year. People are going to talk about obviously Clinton versus Trump. That's dominated worldwide press for for years now, and 
people will see sports as their escape when in reality this is sports this is politics and the two are joined at the hip there's no escape from that kind of thing and as, as I, one of my favorite journalists, Bomani Jones, once said, the only way, if you, the only way you want to avoid politics when it comes to sports is either in a body bag or in a rocket to the moon, because <laughs> there is no other escape from 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 sports and politics. And so, for me, overall, I mean, I had a, I had this epic speech lined up last time we recorded this yesterday, and I'm not going to remember it again, and I'm not going to repeat myself a second time round. But what I will say is. I'm very disappointed in Graham Ray Hall for being so blissfully ignorant regarding America and its problems. And right, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound too stereotypical here, but Graham Ray Hall is a rich white man. <laughs> like he's not going to know any better here. His his dad is a multi millionaire, obviously famous, world famous IndyCar Series champion on multiple occasions. Bobby, who owns a string of BMW dealerships. You know, he's making a ton of money as a car salesman. You know, Ray Hall was born into that, silver spoon in the mouth and all, has been financially backed through this champ car days from the time he was 18 years old when he made his debut in champ. It was 2007, I want to say that was. And, you know, he's married into another really rich white family, and that's the forces in, in, in the world of drag racing. Like, Ray Hall is, like, the last person on earth that gets to speak out on issues like this because he just doesn't understand. He doesn't know. Like, it, I don't think he has any idea what that's actually like at all to be a person of colour in, in the United States. Same for Tony Stewart. And, like, Stewart's one annoyed me even more because Stewart... He should be the last person on earth that should be speaking out about the police, given that he's had let's say multiple controversial incidents with police involved and it, it, it like when Stuart made the tweet about Kaepernick the first response literally was and I quote didn't you kill a guy oh my god and, and yeah I, I didn't want to be the guy to you know say that but at the same time they've got a point and you know Stuart Many people believe Stuart got away with that one in the first place. He's, he's famously punched a cop in the past himself, which, again, not a good look. Um, so for Stuart to come out so so adamantly in support of the police, it's a pretty poor take, no matter which we like. Like, RJ, said, see, you sent me a text message after it happened, and the first thing he told me was, and I quote, as a 15-plus year fan of Tony Stewart, that was a poor take from Tony Stewart. <laughs> so <laughs> He, he um, rode with him through everything. But that, that was yeah. a line, which is, which is good. Which is, which is good. I, I'm, I'm, glad he's, I'm glad he's seen the moral compass here. I'm glad he's seen that you know, that's a pretty acceptable line to draw the line over. Although vehicular manslaughter is a pretty big line too, but hey, who's counting? Hey, that, but, that, was, um, that was sketchy. That was sketchy. It but, was sketchy. It was sketchy. I'm not going to lie to you, but uh, I don't want to get sued, but at the same time, you know, it's uh, overall, you know, I think as a, a black person living in the United Kingdom, naturally you get drawn to stories like this because again, Black Lives Matter protests are still becoming more and more frequent in the UK too. Yeah. And I'm glad that's a thing. Um, I'm glad that more potential is being drawn to it because moments of police brutality, they happen here too in London. And it's happened on multiple occasions where police have gone too far. They, they've beaten black people up on the streets and they've put them in hospital and that's disappointing to hear. Um, but... You know, I I just find it extremely disappointing on the whole that, you know, 
people are trying to squash this protest from Kaepernick and many others in the NFL, like Arian Foster has done since then, and Brandon Marshall has done since then for the Denver Broncos as well, that, you know, we're trying to diminish the act. Like, you got to find some other way to protest. And, I'm, like, and that was people like, that was Drew Brees that said that. Drew Brees is one of the most liked and revered <laughs> figures in all of American sports. He was like the heartbeat of New Orleans after what happened to Katrina 10 years ago with the, the hurricane. And he's coming out and saying things like, I'm like, I've got no problem with the protest. It's just, you know, what he's protesting, but he's got to protest in a better way. And I'm like, well, what's the better way, Drew? Like, he's donating money. He's put in a website, so he's going to be transparent about where the money is going. He's spoken to people in the military. He's been candid and adamant to the media. What, what more do you want him to do? And that's what I ultimately find so disappointing about about the reaction to this. And again, especially from those in motorsport like Tony Stewart. And don't get me wrong, I'm not surprised NASCAR or people within NASCAR have reacted so negatively to this because... Let's be real here. NASCAR is a Southern sport. It's you know, it's 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 deep rooted Southern stereotypes to the bone, and you know naturally they are very much right wing. A lot of them vote conservative. They're Republican in that regard, and that's natural. But Ray Hall, ugh, just I just, yeah. I just looked at those t- those tweets, King, and I was just like why do I follow you? Like you come across like an insufferable douche that just, just ignorant, just completely ignorant. That was so frustrating because Rahul is normally such a likable dude. It's just really frustrating that that's a thing, King, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. When I mean, it, it feels to me for most of these people, like again, that it's an inconvenience on their lives, that they don't want to have to deal with this, that they, it's, they don't have to deal with this right now. So they don't want to deal with it. And uh, to to me, it seems like when we look back on like, you know, heroic stands and like political protests, we kind of when when we're in the future looking back, they seem heroic and not, you know, inappropriate. Like, I think uh, I mentioned this in the first recording. I'm going to mention it again that, you know, Mm. Colin Kaepernick plays in, in Santa Clara, which is eight miles north of the campus of of San Jose State University on on the campus they have a statue a 20 foot tall statue dedicated wow. to uh Tommy Smith and John Carlos the the two American medalists in the 200 meters at the 1968 Olympic games and they did you know the black glove black power salute on the male mm-hmm. podium and this was 1968 let's see uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated that year. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated that year. After the King assassination, there was riots across the country. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the the National Guard was called in, like, for people in the UK, the National Guard would be, like, your equivalent to, like, the Territorial Army. Yeah, yeah. And the, actual, the actual army was called in in D.C. And I think over, like, week-long riots, 50,000 people were arrested i mean no fifteen thousand people were arrested i think like entire sections of major cities were burned to the ground and i think it was like about a hundred million dollars in damage and then then you know later that year the summer olympics they do this stand and on and this then the famous picture is put on the cover of time magazine and it says oh god it says angrier nastier uglier 
a, mm-hmm. a parody of the Olympic motto, faster, higher, stronger. And they, after all, after all what happened in 1968, they saw that political protest as highly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it says it all really that 50 years on, it feels like we're spinning our wheels when it comes to, you know, social inequality in the United States. And the fact that it's, it's unfortunate that nothing gets spilled over into motorsport. And, and it's, it's just a shame that, you know, one of the most, you know, one of the most well-known figures, you know, famous surname in Graham Rahal, you know, one of the, one of the figures in there is basically ridiculously ignorant when it comes to his stance. I mean, it's not the first time we've done it before. I remember when he was talking about, oh, you know, how basketball players get paid too much compared to <laughs> indie car guys who risk their lives. And I'm like, I'm like, like does Ray all have any idea how capitalism works? Yeah. Um, yeah or, that- how, or how, what, you know, the, the guy lives in the bubble. And, you know, then that's that's ultimately his choice. But I, I don't, I, I just find him disappointingly ignorant as a human being, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, it's frustrating. Motorsports is very isolating. I, I, it happens in F1, too, where F1 has like yeah, sure. races in sketchy countries and they're literally not allowed to report on like anything like the the political like the, the crackdowns on political protests that happens about like uh, a week or two before every Bahrain Grand Prix where the Bahraini military oh, yeah. like shuts down everything just so. Mm-hmm. When Western when Western media shows up, everything looks you know fine and perfect and picturesque for Formula One. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, it's again, Bahrain is a country that only gave women the right to vote thirteen years ago. So that kind of just tells you all, you know, what F one often deals with. And again, again, motorsport is an isolated environment in that regard. Mm. Pardon me. And as a result, you know, you you have to just kind of. You have to kind of, I think, look at the bigger picture sometimes. And it's disappointing that, you know, F1 doesn't do more in that regard. But, you know, the money talks. Yeah, it's, and it's, 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 they it's, own a team, so can't do anything. Yeah. Shout out to McLaren. More on that later. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get that one off my chest, really. But uh, let's talk about brighter news. And that was the highly exciting IndyCar season finale at Sonoma. Oh, wait, it wasn't really that exciting. Bugger! Um, but, <laughs> but stuff um, happened. Stuff happened. But stuff, stuff did happen, and we will get to that after this short musical interlude. Grand Prix of Sonoma, the final round of the championship, the much anticipated season finale. Um, the title had gone to the final round as it tends to do with this double point format. You know, that was the big hype. 43 points going into the weekend between Simon Pagano and Will Power out of the out of the uh, the number 22 and the number 12 out of the Penske camp. Uh, the only two men that were eligible to win the title. Um, Pagano struck first blood in qualifying by with a, with a scintillating lap record pole position. Um, on the last lap of the day. And you know what's amazing about that game? Like Scott Dixon, who I think qualified, I think seventh in the end and just didn't quite make the final six. He was hyping up Helio to the, to the core because he had a he had an extra set of um, alternates that he hadn't used yet. So everyone was saying, Helio for pole, Helio, like Pagano, like he can't do two laps on these tires. Bang, destroys everybody. <laughs> 
it, it was a fantastic lap from, from Simon Paginot. He, he got pole position. And of course, that's important because it means an extra point. So it took the gap up to 44. And, well, Paginot hit the front during the race itself on Sunday night. And uh, King just didn't look back from there, really. <laughs> nope, did not look back at all. Well, all he did was, oh, God, he led, I don't he led for I want most to say of the 76. race. Yeah, 76 laps where he was in full control, where it was like if Will Power wanted that title, he needed to pry it out of Simon Pagano's dead cold hands. <laughs> you have to pry it out of my cold dead fingers. <laughs> and yeah, like I already came to the conclusion that after about 15, 20 laps, like no one is beating Simon Pagano unless there's a funky caution in there somewhere. But yeah, Pagano's pace was just electric. At one point, he led by over 10 seconds. He was incredibly comfortable at the head of the field. Again, as we mentioned, he led 76 um, out of 85 laps on the day. Um, only Helio, I think like Helio and Graham Rahal were the only other men to lead laps in that race. Helio was on a four-stop strategy, hence why he was up the front a little bit later on. He was on a more aggressive strategy, which didn't really work in the end. But uh, yeah, Pagano led pretty much from start to finish. It, it, it just, unfortunately, it kind of sucked the life out of the Grand Prix because power really had to win realistically and then hope other shit happens to Pagano for him to have a realistic chance yeah like 44 will, points will, power is a needed, will power needed to win and Simon Pagano need to finish worse than fourth yeah like Pagano had to finish outside of the top five with, with a power win and that just wasn't going to happen because Pagano was just so <laughs> fast um, it, it, it just, he's just been so so good this season and you know it's this was like the exclamation point on what's been a ridiculously good championship season for Simon Pagenaud to begin with. His seventh pole position of the year and then his fifth race win more than anybody else in the field. Um, given that last year, King, it was a lot more competitive, it was a lot more balanced. I mean, going into the final day, there were six potential champions on the last day of last year compared to only two this year. I mean, we have to kind of just tip out hats to the Penske crew. They won 10 out of 16 rounds this season. I think that's just, that's just another incredible achievement that, you know, Roger and the boys have just got this incredible package together with, with the team that they have. And it's, I mean, they locked out the championship one, two and three. I mean, what more can you ask for? <laughs> yeah. Really? I mean, Oh God, that was impressive. Like I know they really wanted the one, two, three for Penske's 50th season in IndyCar. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Simon Pagano, he only finished outside the top 10. What on four occasions? Wow. I, I did not know. Only, only four times out of 16, he was out of the top top 10 wow yeah Yeah, that's that's the mark of a true champion right there and you know it's 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 talking about will power for a minute as well i mean power had that incredible spell in the middle of the season where he won four out of five had a couple of second places thrown in there and this is a guy that made a championship of it despite the fact that we as we all know he missed the opening round with that with that ear infection that he suffered um during the weekend at st petersburg but I mean, King, is this a nice reminder that willpower is still really, really frigging fast, like, everywhere? Yeah, like, (laughs) if he didn't, like, I think, uh, Indianapolis, he finished 19th, and Detroit race one, he finished 20th, as well as Watkins Glen and this race. Like, if he, you know, raced St. Pete or, you know, scored a bit more points at some other road race where he didn't do so well, it could have been a completely different story, this race. Indeed, and unfortunately, that that possibility was quickly removed with a clutch <laughs> failure 
around halfway through the Grand Prix, which put Power effectively out of the race. They, they, they got him back out there, but he was six laps down by the time he was able to continue, and that effectively ended the championship. Uh, well, it actually did, because Power was it was impossible for Power to score big points, and as a result, Unless unless there was some kind of catastrophic accident where half the field suffers engine failures at the same time, which very nearly did actually happen, ironically. Um, yeah, Pagano ended up winning the title by a, a small margin of 127 points. <laughs> it's like the numbers don't tell the full story. I mean, that's the unfortunate nature of double point races. Sometimes they, they make things look a little bit out of proportion, a little bit out of whack. But um, unfortunately, for um for, for that uh, Will, Will Power had that awful engine failure that robbed him because he was in second place at the time and, and desperately trying to keep up with Simon you know in case something happens like a caution I think they were always trying to put power off sequence somewhere along the line so maybe if there's a caution later in the race he can come into play uh, like like he did in Toronto and how he won that race just didn't quite happen but um as we said King phenomenal season from power again I think he's just Mr. Consistency when it comes to the championship. He's always like in the top two or three and just such a brilliant all-round driver. <laughs> yeah, brilliant all-round driver. He'll definitely be a threat next year. Be 100% sure of that, as well as yeah. Simon Pagino. No question. I mean, still had four wins, two pole positions, 532 total points in the end. And again, that 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 middle of the season run he went on was abs- was just an absolute joke, quite frankly. So um, <laughs> he he was brilliant in the middle of the season, whereas Pagano was obviously demonic at the start, basically. But I mean, it was also kind of like weird in the middle of that race that like all of a sudden out of nowhere like three cars like have engine failures almost all at the same time like power had the clutch failure that that brought out the caution but at the same time spencer piggott in the um 20 car had, had parked it just by turn one he i think his engine had died and then poor connor daly um, oh. like dale Coyne was having a pretty miserable weekend to begin with and then daly's engine just just it gives way in a huge plume of smoke, not once, but twice in the weekend. It happened on Friday practice. Um, it was a spectacular, like almost like V10 old school F1 engine blow where the whole thing just goes up in smoke. Um, and then the same thing happened again during the race. And the funny thing is, I didn't realize this, King, that Daly actually had um, half a chance of still winning the Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Um, the Rookie of the Year honors for most points uh, out of the rookies, but uh, that was quite promptly ripped out of his fingers there um i don't think he was going to get it unless dale coin put off another one of their miracle strategy plays yeah like but a, a miracle strategy play plus rosley had an incredible race yes he did man we'll, we'll get to him in a minute but um yeah poor daily just no luck at all and who like according to who you ask we'll get to that in a minute he may not be back next year which is just awful in every way but we'll get to that in a minute um but just just overall just a very it was it was was such a flat race in the end really i mean people have said like i think it was andrew kissinger friend of the show shout out to andrew who sent me a message once saying um you know fontana used to be the season finale i didn't even realize it's like and I was like, Fontana used to be the finale? What? <laughs> I'd have paid money for this, given how amazing Fontana was last year. I'd have loved that to have been like a night race season finale again or something. Like, like I think it was up to 2014, they said it was, it was, it was the season finale. And Yeah, it replaced like, Las Vegas as a season finale. 
as soon as I start watching IndyCar, they get rid of the really awesome season finale. Of course, <laughs> of course. Like I started watching in 2015 and 2014 was when they moved Fontana up the calendar, and we got Sonoma as a finale instead, which is well, just yeah. I mean, uh, Fontana didn't want to move, but IndyCar... Fontana wanted to be the season finale, but IndyCar wanted the season to not end on Labor Day. Uh, yeah, so they had to move it and put Sonoma in there instead. And it's a shame because, like, King, I'm not a fan of Sonoma in the context of IndyCar. It's just so hard to pass around there. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, it, it's more meant for, like, sports cars and touring cars and, like, stock cars like NASCAR. Mm. Yeah, it just doesn't really work with IndyCar and the downfalls. I mean, the only real passing spot was up the top of the course at the hairpin, really. I don't think we saw much passing anywhere else on the circuit. Yeah, um, like, is- the hairpin and the the last chicane, they were, like, put in just so there would be overtaking spots for IndyCar. Only IndyCar uses that configuration. Ah, I see. I thought so. Um, as I know, there's like three or four different Sonoma variations in there, but um, yeah, there's, a good, there's probably a good reason IndyCar has that one, but even so, doesn't really work, unfortunately. <laughs> you just can't really pass anywhere else except that hairpin. Um, like we saw people like Helio Castroneves doing it a lot, Tony Kaman, who spun himself out at the start of the race, trying to dive bomb the crap out of somebody. I think it was Michaela Lotion he was, he, he was doing the diving on, and that didn't work out, and he stalled his engine, um, ending what's been actually a really good run of form from Kanaan, really, but he's still finished in 13, so that's not too bad, I suppose. But, um, so King, let, let, let's, let's go back to Simon Pagano for a minute. Simon Pagano is our season champion. How delighted are you as, as, as a backer of your fellow Frenchman? In this case, you know, you're, you, uh, like, this... you, you, your fantasy team now has the reigning IndyCar champion. How, how does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Like, I, I was rooting for Pagano, like, ever since he joined Penske. And, mm. uh, like, I, not this year's 500, but last year's 500, like, I was really hoping that he would win that yeah, one. Yeah, he, was, and he, he was, was really good back then. And mm. that was so gutting. And, like, to me, this championship title is, like, the ultimate redemption for that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that in the 500 last year, because Pagano was right up the front, looking very comfortable up there until... He damaged his front wing late on, and that's ultimately what knocked him down to the tenth in the end. And it's, he, he was looking like a top tier contender for that, as Monty would go on to win instead. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm delighted for him. Pagano is a really good, a really good dude. He's been super quick all season long. He's very deserving of of the IndyCar uh, Verizon IndyCar Series t- title. He's been superb. Um, especially on road and street courses, he's been he's been stupidly good on there. Like he's, he's the, the oval game was good enough, and that was the one thing I think we drew to him in our season preview. King was that if he could get the oval game together, he'd have a real shot at it this year. It turns out that his road and street course runs were so good, it didn't matter how good the ovals were yeah. in the end. Yeah, like <laughs> double points in the five hundred, finished nineteenth. I think his. Uh, like Pocono, he finished 18th, and I think his best performances were like at Iowa and Texas, he finished fourth. Ugh. Yeah, fourth, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, that was able to carry him to the title. <laughs> yeah, the oval runs were not great, but as it, as it turns out, it was the road and street courses that won it for him in the end. Actually, you know, so, no, like, his best oval finish at the start of the season, second at Phoenix. Phoenix, <laughs> Phoenix yeah, I was going to say, I thought, like, did he come. Like, did he finish second at Phoenix? And I was like, oh, yeah, he did. How about that? <laughs> the race that nobody remembers. Yeah. 
Bangs Wikipedia. Um, but yeah, Pagano overall season champion, 659 points, 127 ahead of Will Power in second with 532. Helio Castro Neves in third, 504 completing the Penske 123. Shout out to the man Joseph Newgarden, fourth overall with 502 for Red Carpenter Racing. What a tremendous season that kid's had. We'll talk about that probably on next week's show for our full IndyCar season for, um, season review. But, uh, yeah, congratulations to Newgarden. Great result from him. Ray Hall's second place. Uh, um, makes him top Honda overall with 484. Fifth overall, so congrats to him. Top five ahead of Scott Dixon. 477, Canaan, 461 in seventh, Montoya, the last of the Penske's on 433, and for, for all we know, in his team Penske days might be done. We'll get to that yeah. in a minute. But he was joint eighth, just ahead of Kimball on countback in the end, because he has the race win that Charlie Kimball did not have, but he was joint eighth on 433. And Carlos Munoz ran off the top 10 with 432, beating all the other Andrettis in the field. Take that, Captain America. Um, <laughs> uh, so there you go. There's the top 10 overall in the IndyCar Championship for the year. Um, for the race itself, Pagano, Ray Hall, Montoya. Very quiet podium there for him in third. Hunter Ray, fourth. Beating Alexander Rossi over the line in fifth. And, like... Poor Rossi, like, like he, I, I'm guessing he used his good karma up from the 500 because this time he actually did run out of fuel. Hey, um, hey. <laughs> it don't matter. He still beat Hunter Ray in the championship. Yeah, I guess, I guess that counts in. Who, who, who's counting for the extra eight-point swing, right? Um, but Rossi, again, tremendous result for Maddox Rossi in fifth place there. Um, just ahead of Joseph Newgarden, who was on the four-stop strategy there. But he was on the three ahead of Helio that was on the four-stop in seventh. Andretti eighth, Kimball ninth, and Sebastian Bourdais rounding off the top ten, who was still... Like I still find it funny how coy he was about his future, even though everyone in his mother knows he's going to Dale Coyne next year <laughs> now. And it's like Sebastian Woody still isn't saying a damn word about it, which I think is just hilarious in its own right. But uh I, I, mean, I, King, I think he wanted to stay quiet after seeing after seeing Daly's engine go up. Yeah, it's like let me just keep quiet about this because yeah, Dale Coyne's had a really shit weekend. I don't want to talk about this very much. It's like it's like yeah, I'm going to that car next year. Yeah, the one that just blew up. <laughs> Yay! Um, but we, we did get some news a couple of days ago regarding the IndyCar field in general, and we're starting to see the silly season pieces run into shape. First of all, King, like what happened to your mind when Robin Miller announced halfway through the Grand Prix that he was darn sure that Penske? Could be making a play for Alexander Rossi. <laughs> I thought he was drunk on wine. <laughs> I was like, I was like, he's on some good shit. Can I have some? Uh, I, but then I, I, again, I, that didn't happen. Thank God. <laughs> he wasn't drunk. I, I, how unf- I, I would love to see Robin Miller drunk because no, no, he's no. such an infusing. Rossi did not go to Penske. <laughs> No, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, like, so I was talking about Robin Miller for a second there. Like, I know he's such an enthusiastic journalist in there, and you know he was coming out with his bold claims. He was saying that Daly might be done in the eighteen. He was saying that oh, Penske might be going for Alex Rossi, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is he talking about? Like, like, where does that come from? Like him to Penske already? Like, what? 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 I, I, I was in shock. I, I was making all like the all the weed jokes you could possibly imagine on our on our official Twitter about because I was live was live tweeting the race at the time, and I was like, "What is Robin Miller smoking? And if so, can I have some?" It was it was all sorts of ridiculous, and um, I just find that absolutely hilarious in that regard. But 
Talking about some contract situations here, talking to Alex Rossi, it's, it turns out, King, he's pretty much put the F1 rumours to bed. Um, he signed a three-year deal with um, Andretti Hertha to stay in the 98 car until 2019. Yeah, 2019. Oh, he's... <laughs> any any F1 fans who had any hope of Rossi coming back, they're dead. <laughs> they're dead. Dead. Dead in the water. Like, he is, he is donezo in the F1 space. And I don't blame him. I mean, what was he really going to go back to? I mean, Manor have now got their drivers of the future seemingly locked in with, with Esteban Ocon and Pascal Wehrlein. And, you know, I don't think anybody wants to go to Sauber um, the way they are at the minute. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's 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 a really good deal for Rossi. I mean, he was awesome for, for Andretti this year. Um and in the 98, obviously winning the 500 is kind of a big deal. Um, it helps, but uh, on top of that, again, he was he was top Honda for a good while in the championship. Obviously, Rail had the late surge at the end, but he won the 500. Um, another strong. I mean, top five finishes in both double points races is definitely going to help. Um, yeah. In any case, J- just missed the top ten in the end by two points. Um, it was uh, the first worth the middle part of this, the championship was all extremely close. Um, so yeah, like he, I mean, he was really hmm. strong at some, tra- like he was really strong at Pocono despite his retirement there. And he really has all the tools to be a title contender. Like to be like, he may have finished like two spots above James Hinchcliffe in the championship. Like him and James, yeah. Hinch- like him and James Hinchcliffe had like relatively like, below i wouldn't say bad but below average seasons but both of them have the tools to be you know up there with the penskis if they have the right equipment and you know all the pieces fall into place they're you know some of the best in the field at the moment yeah i I can't argue with that i think that's a very very valid case you can make with alex rossi and you know, I'm sure he's, he's still going to put it together on the ovals, despite winning the big one. His oval races, you know, races were very inconsistent to say the least. But I think Rossi, that's a great spot for him. The 98 car, Brian Herter is a fantastic guy to have in your back pocket as a guy that can win you a 500, as proven this year. Um, so, and again, like I think, I think there's value in just not being a middle of the road mediocre F1 guy when you can instead be a upper middle tier top tier level IndyCar driver and I'm glad that Rossi's kind of changed his tune from being the guy that was actively flaunting the series as, as a stepping stone to get yeah. back into F1 like, so I'm glad I, I think he made Rossi the realization I think he made the realization that he could have more IndyCar championships than he would ever have an F1 race wins Mm-hmm, exactly, and I mean, he's already got the Indy 500, which is just the most like one of the most prestigious and honourable race wins you could possibly have as a driver in anything. So that that is probably going to be a more significant feather in the cap for Rossi than probably 95% of F1 drivers already. So to have a 500 win, yeah, that's freaking awesome. So. And you know, to sign a three-year deal with with you know one of the better t- big teams in IndyCar is awesome. I just hope that Andretti gets their shit together because <laughs> you know this was not a good season for the Andretti guys overall. I mean, only one man in the top ten, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, and 
16th in the title overall is not what Michael was thinking going into this season, especially when you've already got one of the best drivers in the field in, in Ryan Hunter Ray and Munoz is almost always going to be in contention for the 500 as proven again this year had that pole position. I think in, I think it was, um, whether he had the, I think it was Texas he had the pole position in the first place. And, you know, Andretti, we'll get to him next week. He's had such a miserable season uh, as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as a, as another youngin, you can build the team around in the future. Yeah, Alexander Rossi is a, could be the ticket. So congratulations to him on the three-year extension. But the big one that was uh, almost overshadowed that Rossi sign-in, Robin Miller comes out on Racer.com and reports Joseph Newgarden is set to sign for Penske. Mm. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my God. Um, King, I think we should like fear for our, like all of our boys in the future because Joseph Newgarden in a top tier team, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that is terrifying. Like to be in, like to be in a situation where you're in like the number one team. There's like, there is a, yes. there is a big three, but Penske's, head and shoulders the number one team of the three exactly and again as I said they won 10 out of 16 races this year and this was with Montoya having an off season and he still finished 8th overall because of that double point podium he got um, at Sonoma but Newgarden in the biggest team in, in IndyCar the best team in IndyCar without a question in my opinion at least the, you know the best team in the field he'll probably be seemingly taking the number 2 car left behind by Juan Pablo Montoya and I mean King how do you assess the Montoya situation because I mean he was not great this year he didn't stand out at all really in the number two car um compared to last year he led the championship all the way through to the end and just didn't quite win it in the end he was half a point away essentially from winning it and this year was down in the midfield for most of the season. You know, had had the nice result to bump up a little bit at the end, but on the whole, I I think that's a very disappointing year for Montoya, given he was the he was the champion elect last year. Um, now just eighth overall. I mean, I think it's a justified release when you when when you see the opportunity you've got to get New Garden in your team. Surely, right? Yeah, when you that's have someone as young and promising as Joseph Newgarden and you have a 42-year-old Juan Pablo Montoya. Juan Pablo Montoya is either going to, you know, find a place at another team or, I mean, find a place hopefully at, at another big three team, maybe Ganassi or, you know, slip down to the midfield and, you know, go the way of Bourdais as, a, you know, another former champion who's around in the midfield. Yeah, that could easily work. I mean, Montoya's still a big name. He's still going to bring sponsors along for the ride. He's 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 a very valuable asset to have in a team. I see no reason why someone like Foyt as a lower down team or maybe KVSH if they have their money together for next year can bring in a guy like Monty to to, to have him spearhead your team going forward. Same for Tony Kanaan yeah. if the number 10 doesn't work out for him as well. Because, I mean, look at Kanaan, seventh overall this year and only a handful of points behind Scott Dixon in the end, who is, you know, one of the highly regarded, if not the highly regarded driver in the field. So, I mean, Kanaan, I think we look at it a little bit more favorably given how good he was this season. Monty, his time may be up, but I do think he's still good enough for at least one more season to see if it really is the end of the line with him. Well, you know, least. Sam Smith said he would always 
ha- you'd always, you know, consider a third car if the money was there. And Montoya can certainly mm. bring the money. And Hinchcliffe, Elotion, and Montoya, that would be a like a midfield threat. That's a team. That is a team. <laughs> like like Hinchcliffe, Elotion, who really seemed to get it together um, towards the end of the end of this season, and then Monty, you know, a bona fide top tier title contender. Woo, that's a hot team. Um, that'll be putting Timmy Peterson right in the fire, and I know the real big boys there. Um, so for me, yeah, absolutely. I think there's absolutely still value in Montoya going forward. I think it's just a matter of finding the right fit for him. And I hope this isn't this isn't the end of Monty because I still think he's valuable. And you know, he's a he's a great asset to have for IndyCar, and he, he'll still go on the occasional rant every once in a while, which is always fun. Um, so I, I would I would still love to see Montoya continue in some regard. But uh, oh god, Joseph Newgarden at Penske. Oh god, oh god, oh god. That's that's like some like somewhere Adam Johnson is is like literally doing backflips because uh, <laughs> Newgarden is his boy and he's been waiting for this for years and he, he, he could have justified this last year, but the fact he was even better this year than he was last year, only finishing two points outside of a top three spot in the championship. You gotta make a play for this and kid. It's like, He's just too freaking good. It felt even less than two points. Like if he finished just like mm. one position higher, he would have been third in the championship. Exactly, exactly. And the double points had a bad. The, the double points did have a big effect on the championship in the end. I mean, the eight point swing that Alexander Rossi lost from fourth to fifth, the eight points would have put him eighth overall instead of eleventh overall. So that kind of says a lot about the double point system and you know how big an effect it can have on people because the points are so generous in Indy yeah. you know, I mean, there's a hundred for a win I mean like again to you missing out on Fontana being the finale the double points races used to be Indy Pocono and Fontana <laughs> I miss those days so much but uh, even though I wasn't watching back then damn it uh, I was one year too late god damn you King and Kev why couldn't you got me into this shit sooner <laughs> you guys were late but um hey, so, all yeah, the races I mean, are on YouTube you can go back and watch them that's a good point. That's a good point. I may just do that. Thank you very much. Um, I will take. I will take my my talents to YouTube. All oh, right. I already. I already have them on there. Shit. Um, that's unfortunate. But overall, I mean, the whole the whole race is now live on YouTube. You can catch it. It went up um, earlier today. Um, so Sonoma is on YouTube. If you want to see it, I wouldn't recommend it. It's not a particularly exciting Grand Prix, really. It's it's. I mean, it was tense for obvious reasons. It was a title finale. But at the same time, there, there, there wasn't too much that went yeah, on already. Like, I think, I think, <laughs> as a one-off race, it wasn't like exciting. If you were like invested in the entire season, yeah, it's definitely yeah, absolutely, watch. yeah, absolutely. And uh, just before we go, I have to mention one more thing: Hedio Castro Neves still has great hair, and. <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna catch on, King. It's gonna catch on. I promise. I'm but really, like, Helio Castro quietly but surely third in the championship. Didn't win a race this year. <laughs> Has not won a race I think since 2014, and yet here he is, still third overall because he's just that consistent. What a guy, <laughs> Helio's still the man. And also, we have to mention this, King, because we have not mentioned this on the podcast yet. Before we move on to Formula One, James Hinchcliffe is really good at dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I have been watching Dancing with the Stars um, with him on there, and like, oh my god, King, he's actually really good. <laughs> hey, what he, the hell? He's, he's James Hinchcliffe. He could, 
If like if he wants to do something, he'll get good at it. <laughs> Shout out to James Inchcliffe and Shayna Burgess. They've done a tremendous job on Doctor Zod. They got through week one safely. Um, their fox trot on week one was absolutely brilliant. Um, the passer was wasn't too bad, but given they only had two days to learn it, really, really good stuff. Um, I think the first week they were tired at the top with Laurie Hernandez, you know, Olympic gold medal winning <laughs> gymnast Laurie Hernandez. Um, so I will take that. Like, I still don't think gymnast should be allowed. Like, that's yeah, just that's, broken. That's just- like, <laughs> that's just cheating. That's cheating. How could a freaking gymnast be able to take part in a dance contest? That's not allowed. Have you seen? Have you seen her floor routine? It's broken. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not fair. Like Hinchcliffe for the win, everybody. So you know, if you haven't already, vote Team Stop and Go. Like the the video campaigns towards this have been hilarious. Like Joseph Newgarden did one this week. Connor Daly was his usual fantastic self last week. Oh, did week. you see the pic of of, of Daly and Ross? <laughs> 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 I did. I did. It was it was James's girlfriend and fellow racer. <laughs> yeah, acknowledging Connor Daly and Rossi's just there next to him with like no mention or anything. I think I tweeted out, "Oh, he see Alexander is so humble as an Indy 500 champion." <laughs> <laughs> It was hilarious. It's like they reduced Connor Daly to fellow driver status, and Rossi doesn't even get, his even name. get a mention. And no Rossi mentioned at all. The guy that won the Indy 500, the biggest race in North America. That was and, that was and, on and ABC. Uh, I'm not ABC. I, I just. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> the Dancing with the Stars crew is slacking. Absolutely slacking. Disappointing, ABC. I'm very disappointed in you. Very, very disappointed. As a result, you now must make Katie Hargit lead presenter of Dancing with the Stars in the future. That's the only way I will forgive you for this. That's the only way. Either that or we or give Hinchcliffe the win. You know, either make Hinchcliffe lift the Lillable trophy or make Kenny Cargill lead presenter. Uh, either way, I am happy. I'm not fussy. You can have either. Uh, but uh, but I just I just find that. It's just so funny. I just completely forgot that Connor Daly and Alexander Rossi were just standing there. They've got to get the girlfriend in. They've got to get the girlfriend in, which is a shame because he's done that really hot Australian model as well. But he's got a new girlfriend. And and fellow racer, I just find that just hilarious. <laughs> I'm just forever, forever fellow racer, Connor Daly. <laughs> fellow racer, Connor Daly. Like, like, like that's gonna be our new nick. Like we we have nicknames for drivers here on the podcast. You know, we have decent Kimball, who are, you know, after his ninth overall, I've got to call him decent Kimball now because he's actually been pretty good this season. We we have not now Sato. We have you know stateless Hawksworth. Um, we, we now have to add fellow racer Connor Daly onto that oh, list of like, nicknames I, I wish, from here on I in. I wish they would have put out put up like roommate. <laughs> roommate, roommate. <laughs> girlfriend that might and be even roommate. <laughs> roommate Connor Daly. <laughs> that, that might you know what, King? We're on to it, we're on to something here. Ship out all the t-shirts to Elizabeth Worth. We're gonna figure gonna, gonna flock this thing out. <laughs> Oh dear, but um, IndyCar, never a dull moment as always. It's It's been, we'll talk about it more next week, but it's been a tremendous championship, very enjoyable from start to finish. Not every race was a winner, but at the same time, the, the, the season overall has been incredibly compelling and the, the series has always got that just ridiculous level of charm, humor and character that I wish Formula One had so much. 
Speaking of which, yeah. we'll be talking about we'll be talking about the Singapore Grand Prix and probably not laughing anywhere near as much. Right after this short oh, music interlude. No. King, let's get the happy out of the way with, with the Singapore Grand Prix. Your boy won! Yeah, my boy won. <laughs> my boy won. Oh, God. 22nd yes. overall race victory for Nico Rosberg in his 200th Grand Prix. Congratulations to Nico Rosberg on the double century. That's quite the accomplishment. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't it just feel like yesterday, King, that he had that fastest lap and points finish on his debut for Williams in 2006? Oh, 2006 <laughs> seems so, so long ago. It's ele- 11 seasons later, here we are. Nico Rosberg leading the World Drivers' Championship after a, for, at least in my opinion, a stunning victory. Um, yeah. His- I mean, one, one thing I'm surprised about, though, 10 years later, Nicky Hayden still on a MotoGP bike. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that is still a thing. He's not he's not won a MotoGP race since 2006, and yet here he still is. <laughs> Clearly, we're onto something here, King. We're in the wrong career. Like, you want longevity? Just be 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 middle of the road for a long time, and no one will ever complain or get rid of you. Uh, or maybe move on, and then they'll invite you back because they like you so much. <laughs> that could work too, but. Um, it, it it was a it was a stunning win for Nico Rosberg. It was a yeah he was not on the the optimal strategy in that race, and yet here he is third win in a row as well. He's won all three races since the summer break, and uh, I mean King, stunning performance. I mean I think for me that was probably his greatest victory. Um, I, I was blown away by how he won that race in, yeah. given the circumstances. Yeah, I really put it up there with his probably key wins in his career probably i put it up there with you know his first win 2012 in china yeah like, china mm. like this is definitely one of those that is going to be on like the career highlight reel singapore 2016 yeah i can't disagree with that that was a that was a stunning win and we mentioned this yesterday during the first recording and i told king this and he was almost he almost was he was taken aback four out of the last five winners of the singapore grand prix have gone on to win the championship <laughs> and i'm like mm. <laughs> like i did not know that yep that it, it doesn't have quite the same surprise fact the second time round, but here you go i mean uh, there, there's, but- a, there's a bit of snark to that i didn't know that i legitimately didn't know that and i do know the fact that that fifth guy you know the the person, the reason why it's four out of five is because the fifth time, you know, Vettel won, but Hamilton still won the championship. Yes, yes, he did. I wasn't happy about this, you know. Like, like we we, we still had an outside. Like all Rosberg had to do was just do the honourable thing and pull over to one side at Cota. <laughs> Let Vettel take second, and the, and the championship goes on for one more round to Mexico, where he was also legitimately up there with the front two. Thanks a lot, King. Your boy is selfish. That's what he is. He's selfish. Go, go from spectacular drive to selfish in two seconds. He's a bastard. How dare he? But uh, it's, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm not bitter about that season at all. Um, <laughs> we'll get to Vettel later. But, uh, I mean... It, it was a, it wasn't, it was actually a, a pretty entertaining race for what it's worth. And like I, like Singapore is 
still a great spectacle for a Grand Prix. I still think that it should be a shorter race because, I mean, it was an hour 59, I think it was, this year, and they've hit the two-hour time limit on three occasions since its inception in 2006. And, you know, this 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 race is a, is a body-breaker in Formula 1 for these drivers, but again, stunning victory for Rosberg given the circumstances. Led pretty much from start to finish. Had to, had to manage some very hot breaks throughout the Grand Prix, and despite that, I was going to say one comfortably, but... Um, King, we got to talk about Lewis Hamilton here for a minute, and it's 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 on one end, it's kind of funny because Hamilton did not look on it at all this weekend. Like in practice, he wasn't fast. They took the back off the car to check out what the problems may or may or may not have been, and then your man Paddy Lowe throws some shade after Rosberg curb stomps him in qualifying, <laughs> saying, and I quote, "Singapore is more down to driver setup than it is." Uh, you know, you know, ends up ends up set up of the car, and I'm like, oh my god, the sass from Paddy Lowe. <laughs> I mean, go on, King. I mean, you, like, oh, this, this is your like, this, this is your smug moment. Milk it, I mean, milk it for all like, this work. Like, with what Paddy Lowe said, I have to agree with him. Singapore is yeah. about driver skill. <laughs> like he, he, he's just stating facts. Unfortunately, those facts. Com- completely contradicts Sky's narrative about how Lewis Hamilton is as a person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, like, like the headline on Sky Sports F1 after Saturday was Nico Rosberg thrashes Lewis Hamilton to Singapore Grand Prix pole, and I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> I'm going to church on Sunday. Like this, this we're in the presence of a miracle. It's like, I, I, it's like. Nico thrashes Lewis, not Lewis chokes or Lewis lost to Nico. No, no, no. Nico is given top billing in the headline. It's it's beautiful, King. It, 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 I, I should like like our friend of the show, George Mullen, actually used that tweet as his Twitter header, <laughs> <laughs> and he is a massive Nico Rosberg fan as well. And he's now posted it up as his Twitter header for the world to see. And I thought that was like I'm going to church. Like this, this is a miracle. Like I can't believe what I'm seeing. And everybody just roasted Sky on Twitter for suddenly putting Nico Rosberg as top billing on their scheduled tweet, which I thought was just just hilarious mm. in its own right so yeah, like king you got to stunt this weekend which is just kind of amazing given the fact that after paddy Lowe says that like the next day the other side of mercedes management total wolf comes out and says we have failed lewis as a team <laughs> and we and, and we're very sorry it's just <laughs> i mean it's easy to mock because we all know hamilton is like half a percent better than rosberg but I can't help but laugh at that. I, I, I found it hilarious. I don't care how many Hamilton fans come after me for this one. Get your capes out. I really don't care. This was funny to me. This was funny that the team is suddenly caping hard for Lewis Hamilton when they didn't mention a damn word about Nico Rosberg when he had the two big failures in Italy and Russia that ended his title campaign last year. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it's down to, like, there is this idea of Monaco as a real challenge now, which is, like, mm. if Johnson was, was here, he would compare it to, you know, Darlington and NASCAR and the Southern, five, and the Southern you know, 500. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, a difficult track and it's meant to push the driver to the absolute limit like uh, you know the singapore grand prix is long hot mm-hmm. and challenging probably you know your idea fantasy honeymoon with jennifer lawrence 
That was a surprise <laughs> reference, King. I'm, I'm very impressed. Well done. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always, always got to slide that in like every month or so just to realize that is a thing. Good, ma- good man, King. Good man. I'm very proud of you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're getting with the program here. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get the Helio jokes in there too at some point. Yes, he still has magnificent hair and all that. It, it will become a thing, God damn it! But yeah, um, Singapore, challenging. And it really seemed like Lewis Hamilton was not up for the challenge that weekend. Especially when, like, peak Hamilton's struggle here, when Kimi Raikkonen passes him while talking to his engineer at the same time. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) Kimi Raikkonen is still a gangster, everybody. Like, he's not dead yet, folks. (laughs) He's still got a bit bit more in him, King. Still got a bit more in him. He ain't finished just yet. Um, Great pass on Hamilton for that third place. And as a result, I mean, Merck's hat were very, very close here to pulling off the mother of all strategical failures here. Like, we often criticise Ferrari on this show for being the kings of strategical mess-ups, and it seems they got it wrong by keeping Raikkonen out for one lap too long as a response to Hamilton's pit stop. And... So Raikkonen comes in, they try to cover off Hamilton, it fails, it puts Hamilton back in third, and then they're chasing down... As a result, they're chasing down Daniel Ricciardo, who thinks, okay, Hamilton stopped, I'm going to stop now. Put, put myself on some fresh rubber and see if I can chase down Rosberg. He, he came out about 26 seconds behind him. At that point, Rosberg encounters traffic, so he can't effectively stop. He's going to lose too much time and come out behind. He doesn't want that to happen. So Rosberg has to ride it out to the finish at this point. And King, Hamilton's pit stop inadvertently very nearly cost Mercedes the win. I mean, (laughs) look, if you think it was bad on Twitter beforehand, if that happens and Hamilton gets the podium and it costs Rosberg the win, it's a nuclear holocaust on Twitter that night. Seriously. It's it's a nuclear holocaust on Twitter. I don't want to know what the cool-down room looks like if it's Rosberg second, Hamilton third, and Ricardo wins. Oh boy! Oh man! Like how like Ross Ricardo would be too busy drinking out of his shoe. You, was like, you, you think the cap toss was bad? <laughs> oh man! Like, like like honestly, if I'm like if I'm Rosberg, I'm throwing hands at Paddy Lowe in, in, in the street in, in, in the in the post race debrief. I'm throwing hands, bro. Yeah, they're like, gonna need to get security. The <laughs> they're gonna need to get security in there to hold people back. <laughs> like like you cost me the wins. You could get Hamilton on the podium. Bruh. Uh, <laughs> what kind of logic is that? What kind of logic is that? We're going to throw down here. Uh, and and it, if that race goes on one lap longer, Daniel Ricciardo wins that Grand Prix. Uh, like it's, it's very lucky the clock beat him to it on that one. They just got all 61 laps in. But yeah. because, ho- holy crap, if... if if, 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 if Hamilton gets the third and then Ricardo wins by beating Rosberg on the inferior strategy, oh dear lord. <laughs> like, like, we give Merckx enough of a hard time as it is for strategical errors. We saw it spill over at China last year where Hamilton back in the pack up almost brought Vettel into play and Rosberg essentially had no chance of winning by being compromised by following Hamilton all the way to the end, effectively. But, I mean, King... But I mean, what is it with Merckx and getting this wrong? I mean, I I don't know, but this would legitimately be a first. It would be the first time where it's like, 
the the ham keepers can't can't acknowledge that. Yeah, like oh, the team favors Rosberg because he's a German driver on a German team. Like that would be the that would completely contradict everything you said up to that point. Like the ham keepers would fade into the bushes real quick. Yeah, it's like, well, listen here. It'd be like that Homer Simpson gif all over again where he just fades slowly into the bush trying to keep a low profile because, oh, shit, the team literally just favoured Lewis Hamilton to get a better result <laughs> than Nico Rosberg did. They were willing to sacrifice a win so that Hamilton could finish third instead of fourth. Oh, dear God. Um, that that would have been a disaster zone. But thankfully, that didn't happen. Just. Yeah, well done, just, Nico Rosberg. Just, yeah. Well done. <laughs> Thank and God Nico Rosberg is a good driver. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a good driver. He's a great yes. driver, King. He's a great driver. And talking about Rosberg again for a minute here, how awesome was it that we can now talk about Rosberg as a 22-time race winner? And, you know, I think we can finally put to bed the narratives about Rosberg's mental game because that was a win under incredible pressure given Ricardo was bearing down him at a rate of knots. So... Overall, yeah. I'm just delighted that Rosberg got this statement win, I would say, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's just like it's it's definitely a statement yeah. win. It's you know, prepping the road to our world championship. I really hope he gets that world championship. But I mean, mm. we're we're starting to he's starting to edge on the territory of I think Rosberg's edging his way to being one of the greats. Like like, I think so. I, like he has currently so twenty two wins, and I, my benchmark for greatness is having more wins than Fangio. Fangio's twenty four career wins, and only ten drivers have more career wins than Juan Manuel mm. Fangio, Michael Schumacher, Alan Prost, Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, Ayrton Senna, Fernando Alonso, Nigel Mansell, Jackie Stewart, Jim Clark, and Nicky Lauda. Those ten drivers are the only ten who have. More wins in Fangio, twenty four, and Rosberg has twenty two at the moment. He could, he could, you know, cross that threshold this season. It's it's pretty good company. It's it's pretty good company. I can't lie to you there. That's uh, it's a nice spot to be in when you got that around you. But um, I can't disagree with that in the slightest. I think Rosberg. I mean, I said it on, on the first recording. He's now top fifteen all time on on wins, twenty two pole positions, twenty nine. And fastest laps in races, which is with, with 19. He's top 15 all time in all three major categories. He just, I think, he, a world title would certainly help um, to put him in that. Because uh, I think if I if he wins a world title, I'd put him above guys like Kimi Raikkonen and Jensen Button. Guys in that tier. Well, and he I has think, more wins than them, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, JB only has 15 to his name, and Raikkonen has 20, and I don't think he's going to add to that, t- to add that tally anytime soon. But I mentioned it in... In my article, I wrote, I wrote a blog up on my website on Harrison101.com about this called Nico Rosberg, Victim of Circumstance. And I talked about how Rosberg is treated differently from a lot of other guys that are in the shadows of former greats. I mean, the guys I mentioned, for example, were Juan Pablo Montoya, Rubens Barrichello, David Coulthard, Felipe Massa, Mark Webber. You know, guys that we look at quite sympathetically who didn't quite win the big one but still had pretty good careers in their, in their own right. Um, but Rosberg, we use him as a whacking stick. We criticize him a lot for not being as good as 49-win triple world champion Lewis Hamilton, who is the 
probably the best racing driver on the planet right now. And yeah. I like, just don't think that's particularly fair. I, I, like, I would legitimately say that three of the top ten racers of all time are currently on the grid, and Nico Rosberg is racing mm. against them. Yeah, like, this is the most stacked era of F1 we've ever seen. I mean, it's like, look at it in 2012, for example, when Vettel won the world title and if you had six world champions and that, that had never been seen before in F1 a grid with six world champions on it and he beat Alonso Hamilton Button Raikkonen and Schumacher like five of the probably 20 greatest drivers we've ever seen in F1 um, so Rosberg is now becoming a real top tier name and you know a guy that is going to be on these all time lists now and I know that numbers are going to be a little bit more inflated because of the era we're in with more races um, a car that's really, really good. So naturally, you're going to win a lot more races than probably the bog standard driver would. But I think Rosberg is in that all-time discussion, and I compared him to Sterling Moss. You know, generally regarded as the best driver to have never won a world title. You know, he's in that conversation for sure, at least. And this is a guy that you know the, the parallels are quite uncanny. I mean, Sterling Moss was 0-3 against another superior teammate. We mentioned him earlier, yeah. friggin' Fangio. Um, Rosberg is 0-3 currently against Lewis Hamilton, and Sterling Moss had 18 career wins, a ridiculously high number, especially given it was that era. And Rosberg now has 22, something that again only. 12 dudes have more wins than in Formula 1 history. Yeah, like, to, like to be, like, to even, like, even make this more poignant, like, Sterling Moss was not even close to Fangio. Like, the guy that, no. the guy that Sterling Moss gave up the championship to, most people don't even remember that guy's name. Who was it, King, for those who don't know? <laughs> uh, the first ever British world champion, Mike Hawthorne. Ah, yes, him. I'm sure it, it rolled right off the tongue. Um, <laughs> but um, exactly. I mean, Sterling Moss was 0-3 and was not in the same class as Fangio, really. And, you know, in and figures, because in Britain we like a trier so much, we knighted Sterling Moss as a result of this. And instead, we just give Nico Rosberg cowardly shit on Twitter. It says a lot about our, our yardstick for these things, that on one side we treat these legends with great respect, respect while on the other side of the coin we treat Rosberg like dirt a lot of the time whereas a narrative tool when he's a brilliant driver in his own right and I think this win was a statement win for him to, to, to sum that up speaking of top tier drivers Sebastian Vettel had a really good day King uh, well I guess a really good recovery day after the previous day was a bit shit um Failed to qualify properly after a rare suspension failure that left the car as soon as he left the pit lane and was not able to qualify properly. The car was all over the place. It was completely broken. Had to start the race from the back. But from the back, he started from 22nd and finished in 5th and won the Driver of the Day Award, King. So, hey, you know, yay, I guess. If if someone told me, like, Four years ago, that Sebastian Vettel would win a fan vote for driver of the day. <laughs> <laughs> what? How did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it was even weirder because we hadn't seen the full extent of the comeback yet because they changed the driver of the day voting rules around now so that you could now vote on them in the middle of a race <laughs> as opposed to the end of a race. Because before it was 
votes open at the, at the end of a Grand Prix and then they reveal the winner on Monday. Now they're doing it where they're taking votes halfway through the Grand Prix and then revealing it at the end of the race directly, which is just completely stupid. You haven't even seen the full race yet, yet you're voting on driver of the day. Really friggin' dumb. Yeah, but here we go. Vettel gotta, wins gotta driver of the day. Gotta keep people invested during the middle of the race when nothing's going on. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I guess that's a plus. So yeah, Sebastian Vettel finishes fifth. Great comeback from him. I mean, to put it into perspective, he finished 29 seconds off the win despite the fact he started from the back of the field and was often caught up in people like Felipe Nasa. That is a phenomenal performance from Sebastian Vettel and a brilliant recovery. Um, what I found funny about it was like they were interviewing him after the race and him being the king of British-style dry humour, he was asked, I think it was by Rachel Brooks for Sky Sports. So, like, Vettel, did, like, Sebastian, did you ever think like you were going to finish fifth from the back? Yes, of course. <laughs> That was the end of the conversation. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like, like he said, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, of course I did. And that was the end of it, really. And yeah, he, he, he had every belief he could finish in the top five, and he did. Finished ahead of Max Verstappen, too, which is kind of a phenomenal effort, given that Red Bull seemingly had the faster car this weekend. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, just a, a brilliant, brilliant job. And uh, he, he was very funny about it to Steve Jones on Channel 4 as well after the race, where... He says to David Coulthard, like, is there a prize for driver of the day? Like, do I get a little trophy or do I... But not even some chocolate? No? <laughs> he wants prizes, King. He wants prizes for driver of the day. Like, can, you, can, you, can you give him an extra point or something? No? Dude wants trophies. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> like, did you know this has been, like, the longest stretch Vettel's gone without a Grand Prix win since 2008? Damn. That, it's been <laughs> some cold, yeah, dark, lonely nights staring at your no longer, no longer filling trophy cases. It, it's been a 21 race winless streak for Sebastian Vettel. The last time he went 21 races without a Grand Prix win was the lead up to the 2008 Italian Grand Prix. I think that was 28. I think that was his 28th Formula One race that when he got his first win. And uh, yeah, that's the last time he was on a winless streak that long, which says a lot about the state of Ferrari right now. Way to go, boys. Great strategy. <laughs> Way to go, boys. Great strategy called on Raikkonen, by the way. That totally went out. That, that worked perfectly, you guys. Well played. Well played. Um, Got to mention as well before we move on from the from Formula One. How awesome was Daniil Kvyat? I mean... <laughs> Ooh, Kvyat was back. Kvyat was back with a vengeance uh, in, in the streets of Singapore. And who comes up behind him from a bad start early in the race? Max Verstappen. What does Kvyat do? He throws the block repeatedly. <laughs> That's my boy. Yes. <laughs> I was giving him a round of applause behind my betting desk. I was like, go on, Kvyat, get in there. Like, he want to throw blocks? You throw blocks. Yeah, let's see how you like it for once, Max. And then... What happens? Max complains on the radio to the team, like, come on, man. And I'm like, this is the most ironic thing ever. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. And, like, like just everybody on Twitter was just roasting the shit out of Verstappen as a result of this. And it was the best thing about the race on Twitter. Was It was like, haha, take that, Verstappen, you asshole. See what you get, what happens when you throw... It's basically a great big deal of 
See how you like it when somebody throws your own medicine back in your face, and that was the most glorious thing out there. And I'm so glad that Mac we got we got public radio of Max being pissed off, which I, which I, which he totally deserves. By the way, he's been, he's been asking for that all season long. So I'm so glad that Kvyat was able to stick it to him. The man that you know had his seat yanked out from underneath him for no good reason is the one that ultimately screws Verstappen over in the Grand Prix. Awesome, and I'm I'm glad he was really happy about his ninth place. Um, in the press conference afterwards, he was very happy. He said it felt mega to be back in the points again for the team. So I was delighted that Kvyat is out there smiling again. And also shout out to your men at Renault King, yeah. Kevin Madison back in the points. Boys in yellow got <laughs> got came back in the points. Uh, it's like ho- hoping things will improve next year, but it's like it's it's a struggle when you're when you know your factory team and your you know, mm. only hoping for just points. Yeah, just 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 the odd minor point in them. I mean, that's only Renault's second car that's finished in the points all season long out of twenty eight, and that's just really unfortunate that Jody and Palmer's just not had a very good season at all. And K Mags had to do the heavy lifting, but hey, K Mags in the points, and he started fifteenth as well. So you know, he finished plus five from where he started. So that's a really good job from Gavin Magnuson. So yeah, shout out to him as well for getting in the points. So. Overall, King, given that Formula One's had a real run of pretty crappy races lately, I'm just glad that Singapore was actually decent. <laughs> yeah, F1 needed a good race. It did. It absolutely did. I mean, Italy was terrible. Spa was was just so mediocre. Nothing really happened. Italy, practically nothing of consequence happened at all. So I'm just really glad overall that... Um, that uh, K Mag got on the points as well as you know just a, a decent Singapore race in general. Um, we needed that one, we really did. Uh, so where are we going to next? All right, Malaysia, Ferrari two stopper, Ferrari two stopper, <laughs> Shades twenty fourteen, Shades twenty fourteen and fifteen, bro. We got this. Vettel gonna retain his Malaysian Grand Prix title. Let's go. Ooh. Probably not. Yeah. Oh, just it makes me miserable. Just like Formula One in general these days. More on that later. But first, another quick musical break, and when we get back, we'll talk about some of the news. So, King, let's do the news. And first up, your hometown of New York, specifically Brooklyn. You're getting the New York Formula E 2017 season finale. Yep, <laughs> yep, doubleheader. Oh my god, it's gonna be awesome. Right in Red Hook, right, right on the bay. You can see, you know, Lower Manhattan and the Statue of Liberty. It's going to be epic. <laughs> to be fair, like I saw the location, it looks like a really nice spot for a Formula E race. Like the location, I think, is superb and. I, I, I'm really excited for this. Like, I, like it reminds me of the days of playing the New York circuit on Gran Turismo. It's not. I know it's not quite like obviously deep in the heart of New York for obvious reasons, but I mean, just having a, a Grand Prix of any kind in the streets of New York is awesome. And I'm really glad that that we're getting a race down that side. And you know, Brooklyn gets his little moment like that. So I mean, the season finale as well, doubly awesome. <laughs> yep, yep. No sleep till Brooklyn this season. No sleep till Brooklyn. We'll see. We'll see. Just, just pray to God that Sebastian Bremi hasn't already won the title by then. Oh, God. <laughs> Double points, guys. Double points. <laughs> Double points. 
six points of fastest lab. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, no. We do, we don't want a repeat of last year. No, we don't. We don't. We, we don't want a fastest lap time trial event to decide a championship. I don't think anybody really wants that. But uh, overall, like I said, can't wait for New York. That's going to be awesome. Delighted. Um, congrats to Formula E for pulling that. That's that's quite the coup to pull off. Yeah, Bernie to, has been uh, trying it for thirty years and couldn't get it done. Yep, and Alejandro Agag in year three of Formula E gets it done. Awesome. So, yep, New York, Brooklyn, that's going to be, I think, was it next July, I think that is, King? Yeah, July 8th, uh, July, I know it's the end of July. It's. I think it's the week after Montreal, so it's like, it's like July 22nd or 23rd, I think. Yep, yep, so that, that's going to be awesome. Can't wait to, to see that one. News on the two-wheeled world for MotoGP as the 2017 provisional MotoGP calendar has been announced, and it's largely the same as last year's. Hooray! Yeah, um, I mean, quick rundown. Qatar, um, Argentina's second race again. They're actually leaving it a week this time between Argentina and, and Cota, so... Two weeks between that now, April 9th and then April 23rd, between uh, um, Argentina at uh, the Termas de Rio Hondo and the Circuit of the Americas. So there's now two weeks we're there where that's concerned. Um, then Jaref um, on May 7th, Le Mans, May 21st, Magello on June 4th, back to back with Catalonia the week after on June 11th. Um, then Assen, my favourite, on June 25th. Uh, the Saxon Ring remains the, the summer break round there on uh, July 16th. Uh, before actually it's weird because you've got three weeks between Aston and the Saxon ring and then you've got the three week summer break between yeah. that and and because like Bruno is now the first round after the break and not Austria Austria is now back to back with Bruno on um, August 6th and 13th respectively it's going to be a um, real empty July <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be. That's going to. July is going to be the dead zone for us next year. We're going to struggle with podcasts at that point. <laughs> now there's no um, IndyCar. There's still IndyCar. Yeah, there's still IndyCar. Yeah, yeah. We got that. We got that. It's all good. It's all good. No, don't panic, everybody. We got this. Um, we're an organized podcast on here, you know. And uh, two weeks after that, Silverstone back on the calendar. To, to no circuit of Wales just yet, King. Just, just want to point that out to you. <laughs> circuit of Wales still ain't finished or even started yet. Or yeah, is that is that even ever going to be a thing now? Probably I don't won't. know. I, I think it's just going to be like a bunch of grandstands, and then people are going to think of like it's Stonehenge or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Yeah, because as, as it was announced at the British Grand Prix, the Silverstone's going to be retained as the British Grand Prix venue until 2020. Um, so even if the circular rails does eventually get built, they're not going to be hosting anything of the MotoGP kind for at least another four years. So. Yeah, not good where that's concerned. But yeah, Silverstone, um, August 27th. Then back to Misano on September 10th at the Misano World Circuit Marco Simoncelli. Two weeks after that, Aragon um, again. Uh, then after that, two, um, three weeks later, we go into Japan for Mategi. That's now back-to-back with Philip Island in Australia on October 22nd. That's now back-to-back-to-back with Malaysia at Sepang. Um so the Sepang International Circuit there on October 29th and then the season finale which was confirmed um, a couple of days ago that Valencia will keep the season finale of MotoGP November the 12th at the uh, Circuit of Valencia so King same 18 tracks just just a slightly different order it's not really that exciting, but it is kind of interesting that MotoGP is like, as they hop to from race to race, they're announcing new deals. It's like there's going to be a lot of 
consistency in this calendar for at least another three or four years by the looks of it yeah well i i know 2018 there's you know scheduled to have finland added on so mm. yeah they got a slot they got a slot finland in there and there's still a lot of talk about the possibility of indonesia and thailand being added to the calendar and people are saying well where are they gonna fit and who's gonna drop out because they've just like they've just announced new deals for the saxon ring bruno silverstone misano Aragon that was announced well, today they, by the they way. They could always, you know, just start the season earlier. They could. I mean, it, it is a fairly late start. They start, I mean, last week in March traditionally is when the MotoGP season starts. And they could always do some more back-to-back rounds, I suppose, because there's, there's a great big European block there with Spain, France, Italy, back to Spain, Holland, Germany in there in the, in the early portion. They could easily just back-to-back a couple of those rounds again and then just slot, you know, Finland or Finland in there and then maybe Indonesia and Thailand towards the back end, maybe. because They've already got a triple header of races next year. Um, for Japan, Australia, and Malaysia, subject to subject to a new contract, but I'm sure they'll announce Sapang's new deal probably during the Sapang weekend <laughs> because that's what they've been doing all year. Like as they hop from venue to venue, they've been announcing a new deal across the board. So yeah, it seems that that's the way that's the way they're doing this, King. But uh, twenty races next year, maybe <laughs> the year after twenty race calendar. No, I'm thinking twenty one. Twenty one, like F one. <laughs> Which is interesting because a lot, like I know for a fact, the teams are not keen on this. The teams are not keen on twenty races in a season. I think they said that like eighteen is like just about the limit here of what's financially feasible. Like beyond eighteen, you're getting into dangerous territory. So uh, we're getting that same F1 problem we had a few years ago, and I think there was twenty races in 2012. Yeah, and I then still remember teams- when F1 had eighteen races, and they said oh, 20 would be impossible. But look where we are now. <laughs> Here we are with a twenty-run race calendar, with, with and they're still keen to add more. Um, so, so yeah, um, who knows what, what these team bosses are thinking and how, or what these race promoters are thinking now with these races? I, I, I but, think, like to me, like people try to use the whole "it's not financially possible," like "oh, we can't mm-hmm. pay these people" as you know, bargaining chip with either Dorna or FOM to just get more money, which obviously they should and. Mm-hmm. probably will happen makes sense yeah I mean why not bleed the sport for every penny it can get um, they're already giving out more for the satellite teams next year they're already flipping the bill for them so yeah I mean why not bleed them a bit more and say yeah 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 cover cover this race and this race too if you're going to go to 20 Grand Prix cover the flight costs and all that shit so who knows but um, yeah that's the, the MotoGP calendar for 2017 so, King, this is this is your spot right here now. You get to talk about this. It's we're talking about Liberty Media here. Oh, and... I thought we were gonna push that to next week. Oh, we did, weren't we? We yeah. were we did weren't we? So, yeah, 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 we were. My bad. Well, that, that's again real professional on this show, real professional, of course. Yep, we're, we're, we're real professional like that, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we, we um, just yeah, drop the heavy tease to a topic and just not talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it on next week's show. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. There you go. But I mean before we move on to the mailbag real quick here, King, what did you make about the rumor that Apple could be buying McLaren out? Yeah, just another rumor. Like, 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 I really don't hold any weight to it until, like, there's no. an announcement. Like, Indeed, and McLaren went out and squashed it last night as well. So I think that's 
that's dead in the water. They've got good money coming in from the Bahraini royal family that own the, tip, that own the majority of the team. Um, so I don't think that one's just too much to read into that one. I mean, I know Apple have kind, kind of want to go into cars a little bit with the whole iCar concept and whatnot, rumoursy, but I think we'll just take that for the rumour that it is. But uh, let's let's... Let's tackle your questions in the mailbag. And there's a couple of really good ones out here. I can scroll up and find them in here. Yeah. So, so let's, let's tackle the mailbag. And first up, friend of the show and host of MSTF1, Matthias Canero. Hi, Matt. We love you, man. As always. Uh, we sent it a lengthy question. So let's read this out real quick. He goes, As per one delusional fans tweet we read on our Skype chat, in this day and age of social media, do you believe F1 can indeed survive without Lewis Hamilton or any kind of large personality for that matter? Might be a stupid question. Feel free to shame me as such. Stretching that out further, could it survive without? Ferrari. Chase Carey seems to be pushing their buttons and knowing how big of a C-U-N-T the team can be in BTS negotiations I'd be happy to see them go if it made for a fairer sport for smaller teams despite being a fan of the rampant horse. So he's basically asking does he think the sport can survive without someone like a Lewis Hamilton and can it survive going one stage further could it survive without someone like Ferrari in it I mean without a driver certainly like even someone yes absolutely someone as big as Lewis Hamilton like if if he goes to drive somewhere else it's fine if he just quits racing altogether and like becomes a full time musician like he's always going to have the question over his head like oh Lewis when are you going to go back to racing like it's it's not going to affect Formula 1 if Ferrari goes, though, it depends on what Ferrari does when they leave. Mm, I mean, if they straight up exited, that would be a blow for F1 because F- Ferrari is one of those guys on the own, like basically uses F1 to, to cement their road car sales, and they are like they're almost intertwined at this point. Um, obviously, having them, you know, not there and whatnot. Like, I, like you know. any Ferrari quit thread, I don't take seriously because their brand no. is Formula One. Exactly. I mean, it, it, like a lot of people are fans of Ferrari's cars because their F1 cars are so great. So naturally, it's going to be hard to argue that, you know, they'd ever quit F1 because it's such an adamant part of their company like, objective and, and motives the, and whatnot. The only threat I ever take legitimate from Ferrari is if they say they're going to start a rival Grand Prix championship. That's the only thing that I'm afraid of. Yeah, that 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 could be a problem, but uh, yeah, overall, I think the sport. Would be, would, would, I mean, without Hamilton, I mean, sure. I mean, between two thousand and six and ten, I would argue there was a bunch of old champions we didn't really give a shit about yes. because Hamilton was still because Hamilton was still corporate Hamilton. Button, you, know, you had you had the cool underage toy, but there was a lot of cynicism regarding his title because he wasn't a broken car. Alonso was Alonso. F one didn't really have its footing until 2011 where like between Schumacher's first retirement and 2011 it's basically like a bunch of like random stories that only lasted a year then 2011 is like oh damn Vettel could win this again Mm -hmm. and maybe the Uh, year next year someone needs to stop him hey Lewis can you please stop this kid (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> didn't happen for a good three years <laughs> but um shout out to henry chapman who also asked about sonoma being a fitting title for nile we already kind of talked about that so shout out to him and i was asking about fontana um yeah fun- also he's like, saying- in my ideal indycar finale would be of uh, fontana like 
Well, I wouldn't say, I would say day to night. I wouldn't say a full night race, because, like, the time zones sure. can be, like, terrible when it comes to That's a good point. an L.A. race. Yep. Uh, Matt, Ro- Matt White asks, second William seat, Lynn, Stroll, or A.N. Other? <laughs> oh, dear. Like... <laughs> It's it's like, do you take the guy that doesn't seem that good, or do you take the guy that may not be ready in Lance Stroll? Because I mean, there was a rumor going around in, in the in the Finnish media that he's going to pay thirty five million dollars for for that Williams seat because we all know that Lance Stroll's the son of a billionaire. Yeah, basically. Lance Stroll has already had a test in a Williams car, like in not not a recent version because that'd be illegal, but you know, an older Williams car. Oh god! Do we want to wheel those pastel pastel wheels back out again for Lance Stroll? I guess if the boot fits, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's going to be Lance Stroll. Maybe not immediately, but I think in a couple of years' time, I then might go for someone to to, to fill the gap yeah, in the short like, term. I thought that guy to fill the gap in the short term was going to be Jensen Button, to be honest. Indeed. Indeed, but hey, McLaren's kept him under their back pocket now, which is a very shrewd move on McLaren's part, <laughs> if I if I do say so myself. Um, so now Williams have got to look elsewhere. So did, did they? I mean, we all know Lynn has made it no secret he's not going to be in GP two next year, and he wants an F one seat. I I don't think Williams are going to give it to him because he's not been particularly impressive in GP2. He's been decent, but I don't think he's been, oh, this guy deserves an F1 seat kind of good. Yeah, like, <laughs> it, it really seems like if he does go to Williams, he's going to be that short-term guy, and I'm pretty sure he does not want to be that short-term guy. Indeed, indeed. Um, friend of the show, RJ O'Connell, <laughs> asks, and this is a fun one, across all forms of motorsport, whose season can be best summarised by playing the nuclear fire scene from Terminator 2? <laughs> so who's had the most apocalyptically bad season in motorsport this year? <laughs> oh, God. It, it's it's a battle of the Brits, unfortunately. It's probably either Hawksworth or Palmer. <laughs> Oh, Paul has been so bad this year. Oh dear. Yeah, I'm like, see, that's the, thing, that's the thing about Britain and racing drivers. Like, we have the top quality, but unfortunately, we're also a bit shallow yeah. when it comes to actual depth of talent. Yeah, Britain has quality through quantity. <laughs> Yeah, like exactly, and unfortunately, but I was going to throw Marco Andretti in there, given his usual standards and given how good he actually was last year. But I think Jack Hawksworth, as we call him, stateless around here, um, for good reason. Unfortunately, given how poor he's been this year, would probably be top of the list. Um, Jolian Palmer's been really bad in F1 this year as well, the poor guy. And you know what's funny about him as well? They keep cutting to his dad whenever <laughs> he does badly. It's it's not a good look. Like, like <laughs> as as much as you say, like, Andretti, like, had a bad year because he had a good year last year, like, he still did better mm. than Chilton. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. That is a good point. But then again, Chilton's a, a rookie. So, I mean, how good do you expect him to be, I guess, is, he, yeah. is another way of looking at it. So, it's, uh, you know. Yeah, I'd, I'd put uh, Jack Hawksworth in the middle of that playground when the, when the bomb goes off. I think that, that would make sense. Poor guy. Josh um, <laughs> Chattil, um, who, because he's a backer, we'll give him two questions because we're generous like that. First question, Sky F1's team is getting quite stale. 
I'll say. Do you think they will change it for 2017 or wait for 2019 to make big changes? For those that don't know, 2019 is the year they'll be the exclusive broadcast, and that's when Channel 4's deal will, will expire to host Formula 1. So... King, what do you make of Sky's broadcast team going forward oh, then? I, I definitely see 2019 being a shake-up year for various reasons. Because, number one, Channel 4 is shutting down. I don't know what is going to happen at Formula 1 management. We'll probably get to that next week. Because Liberty Media are kind of... They want to offer a direct-to-consumer way to watch Formula 1. Right. So, like, like, like I think they, they mentioned um, in their plans, which we'll talk about it in more detail next week, they wanted potentially live streams yeah. for races yeah so yeah so formula one would have their own in-house broadcasting team so that could also Ooh. shake things up bring over kravitz <laughs> i demand you bring over kravitz he's wasted on there in his socks and sandals um my, my personal opinion if it ain't broke don't fix it i don't think sky's gonna change anything around unless liberty media really do go all the way with this in-house streaming idea and they'd maybe try and poach some of Sky's talent or you know Damon Hill just like gets sick of working and quits which is which given it's Damon Hill is a very strong possibility um (laughs) Because Damon Hill just gives no fucks about anything, really. Um, my personal opinion, yeah, I, I don't like F1's team. I think I've, 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 I've spoken about it on many occasions. I'm not a fan of Sky Sports F1's coverage. Simon Lazenby is boring. Damon Hill and Johnny Herbert are just two old muckers at this point, and, and I don't find them particularly captivating to watch. Herbert is a, is a grade-A shit-stirrer, for what it's worth. Um, I mean, they do have their moments, but it's usually... The comedic moments. I wouldn't even say like I I found some of the comedic stuff to be just atrocious. I mean they they do (laughs) they do well when it when they talk about the past when they talk about the stuff they've actually been involved in. That's what they do fantastic. But everything else is just ugh. Unless you put Johnny Herbert on a Segway again oh, or an hoverboard, yes, <laughs> and then have an yes. entire stand at <laughs> have an entire stand at the Bridge Grand Prix cheer as he falls. The best thing about this F1 season, right there and then. <laughs> also, can we get Anthony Davidson on TV more, please? Sky, more Anthony Davidson, please. The man is a goddamn legend. I love Anthony Davidson. He, 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 I, if, if Ted Kravitz can have his own notebook segment and get half an hour of airtime on Sky F1, I demand Anthony Davidson have at least 10 minutes. Yeah, like... So, I mean, sod Paul the rest up. Like, they were <laughs> just like, hey, Ted, just, just talk at a camera for like... 20 minutes it has zero production value zero anything just Ted yep. just talking to camera <laughs> yeah if, if Ted can get that I see no reason why we can't dedicate like a good 15 minutes to Andy Davidson because he's the goddamn man yeah like, um, like we have Ted Kravitz the world's most watched weekly vlogger yeah, and, and, like, honestly, like Ted can do the same thing on YouTube with a cell phone <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, he's got to do it on TV and take half an hour of our lives away. Yeah, everybody loves him for it. God bless him. But um, yeah, for me, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I don't find Sky Sports F1's package particularly entertaining. Yeah, And I think a lot of the really good people I really admire in F1 broadcasting are on Channel 4. To be honest with you, I think David Coulthard is great. I think Eddie Jordan in small doses is great. Um, very, very small doses, I think, is great. Like podium interviews, maybe, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, like... Lee McKen- <laughs> Sky, Sky needs a real competitor. 
Channel yeah, they, they Four do. is and not a competitor because indeed it just because isn't. everyone but, um, with Sky could watch Channel Four. You don't have to pick between that and another service. Exactly. You haven't really got a reason to change unless you really do hate Sky that much, and it's a live weekend for him, I suppose. But like I like, again, I said before, like I love David Coulthard. I think Lee McKenzie is the best interviewer in the paddock i think karoon channel is ridiculously underrated for channel four yeah. i think he's super good um in, in the pit lane as a technical reporter and whatnot i think karoon channel is amazing um so they've got some very nice elements. and steve jones has done a pretty good job as lead anchor this year for what it's worth i think he's done a better job than i thought he was going to be so you know shout out to him like if, um, if you had to rate him like with with simon lazenby being the middle five what would you rate him <laughs> If Lazenby is five for being bang average, I'd say Steve Jones is a solid seven and a half, seven and a half to eight. Yeah. I would say. I think he's pretty good. I think he's pretty, pretty good. good. Okay. I think he, I, I think he's entertaining. I think he does a good job. He doesn't do any major f ups. He he does a good job of pushing the broadcast along quite nicely. He has good chemistry with DC and Susie Wolf and people like that. So I think he does a pretty good job overall. He's not he's no Jake Humphrey, but um like that's pretty much the gold standard when it comes to F one pundits. Before he went all salty on us, but before uh, he went football on us, before he went all football <laughs> on us, friggin. BT Sport, but uh, you know, on the whole, I would I would say Jones is pretty good. So you know, Channel Four's got all the good guys for, for the most part, and Sky One's got all the hipsters. Yeah, uh, like <laughs> I would say, the only oh, even though it's been the past few years have been pretty sketchy. I'd say Brundle's probably the best thing they have, but yeah, I'd say so. But, Especially his post race articles on on Sky F1's website is very very good. Like, I think that's the, the best the thing about Brundle. I haven't been able to like stand about Brundle. Like he's a heavy Verstappen caper. Yes, massively. Friggin' yes. <laughs> um, backtracking, son of a. Anyway, <laughs> Josh's second question was most impressive indie lights driver this season. Um, Yurutia for me, GP3 backmarker to indie lights championship contender. Yeah, yeah, Yurutia. I agree. Sur- I agree. Like, I surprise. Like I want to say, like Ed Jones is also impressive, but like Ed Jones is pretty much the Carlin boy. He's always he 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 was there with Carlin since they debuted last season. He's very experienced, well talented. He's Mm-hmm. Ed Jones is gonna get a top drive, but I don't see him being spectacular in the big cars. I just see him being like the average solid guy in the big cars. But you're Tia, like Santiago, like he he's going to be a guy to watch in the big cars. Indeed. Um Colin Bridget asks, do you think Formula E will come back to London or go to Dublin, Belfast, or somewhere like Italy or Spain? I don't think they're hipster enough for Alejandro Igag. <laughs> like he, he likes the obscure places like like the Uruguays and the Argentinas and you know I I just don't think like Italy or Spain is like the sexy pick for a series like that's still on the rise. I don't feel like like what's the appeal in going to a street circuit in Spain? You know, you you want to see him do something different like like we saw like in Berlin. I mean, this some season cities and- in Spain I could see I got going to. Maybe like going to sure. Seville. That would be interesting. Ooh, that's nice. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. Like 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 when he when he's like Seville in Spain or maybe like Dublin would be an interesting place to race. Because mm-hmm. you know, circuit racing doesn't like single seater racing doesn't go to Ireland, and that would be a very interesting race. 
Sure, sure. That could be very interesting indeed. So yeah, there's, there's, there's possibilities out there for sure. I mean, that's the that's the beauty about a series like Formula E. You can literally take it just about anywhere feasibly, and, ha- and you put you can put on a race there if the government's keen for it. So you know, and of course we've had hundreds of requests for, for Formula E to have races in their location. So it's certainly appealing to a lot of people out there. So you know, the, there's the possibilities are almost endless. Um. For Johnson and King for NASCAR, do you prefer NBC or Fox? That's from Henry Chapman. Oh god, That's for you, King. this is like if I had to explain it to you, Dre. Like uh, F- sure. Fox is the traditional broadcaster. NBC only got the rights last year, and like right, so, right. so anything you know about like NASCAR broadcast, like the boogity boogity boogity, let's go racing from Darrell Waltrip. <laughs> that, that that is Fox. And NBC right. are the new guys on the block. They, I, I like NBC because they have you know the younger more talented pundits and like younger racers that i'm used to like the only new signing that fox has had this year was getting jeff gordon on in the booth which has been Mm. uh a bit shaky because you know the 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 trio they had commentating were commentating on nascar since i started watching nascar and to just throw jeff gordon in there it's been a bit shaky but you know jeff is obviously more knowledgeable about the modern cars right but right. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah I, I, nbc is for me because i i like their analysts better they have a younger more knowledgeable you know panel for commentary and analysis Indeed. Friend of the show, Len Morrison asks, has the hybrid era damaged the reputation of F1 or do the fans need to be realistic with their expectations? Uh, I think more realistic with their expectations. I I think it's a combination of the racing has been fairly poor, but not too poor. Like, I think a post on the F1 subreddit, like, mentioned it most, like, oh, God, I kind of, you know, feel bad for it bashing 2012 when it happened because 2012 like turned out to be one of the best seasons of, of the modern era and you know mm. people like people in the comments are like oh i remember bashing 2012 because i you know hated drs and you know agreed with alonzo about you know it being a tire lottery when the like that was you know Ugh. when that was Alon- pretty alonzo being alonzo <laughs> yeah it was alonzo being alonzo and everyone just getting on board because they liked alonzo not realizing like this is actually pretty good yeah yeah that's fair enough yeah i, I can't i can't disagree with that myself personally i think f1 is a sport of dominance and the sooner you get your head around that, I think the easier it is to watch and, you know, have your expectations, you know, in a, on a more realistic place. Um, for me personally, I think this hybrid era has not been as bad as people like to make out it is. I know it's easy to say that with a dominant car at the front, but some of the racing has been pretty good. And this season, it had a bit of a dry spot in the middle, but it started out tremendously australia bahrain um china were all better races than they had really any right being so for me i think it's been a pretty good season regardless so you know my, then again my positions are always like dirt on the ground anyway ref ones anyway so maybe that's more down to that than anything else <laughs> so, depends on what they look at it, i suppose um harry repton asks does the way nascar deal with post-race inspection failures make a mockery of race results i guess this is this is a reference to martin truex 
Jr.'s slightly illegal car yes. when he punched his ticket into the next round of the chase, I'm guessing. So, uh, yeah, I think we mentioned yeah, it during the first recording. Like, we, mm. no, it was off broadcast. So, we were just talking about yeah. the, the, the way NASCAR regulates it. Their, their sport, everything, it's stock cars for a reason. There's strict templates that you're kind of not allowed to work the bodywork around that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you, like, it used to be easier to get away with it with the old steel templates that they used to put over the cars that physically measure it. Now with lasers, everything is so pre- precise that they can catch the littlest violation. So, right. so when you break the rules... Uh, when you break the rules, you can't go to like, oh, it's in a gray area anymore. It's black and white. But NASCAR likes to still say that you may have broken the rules, but it wasn't that bad. We'll let you go. And obviously people do mm-hmm. not like that. Yeah, they don't, they don't like it when we're soft on these people, I suppose, I'm guessing. But uh, yeah, understandable. I mean, I can't comment this. I'm not a big NASCAR guy, but if it's a minor violation, I guess it's fair. They just, they just treat it like such really more than anything else. And I know I watched oh, on the IndyCar. Breaking NASCAR news, and it's it's, it's in relation to the first NASCAR story we ever talked about on this show. Uh oh, that, that, that can't be good. Um, go on. Kurt Bush's ex girlfriend turns herself in to answer to fraud charges. <laughs> <laughs> she has been. My, oh no, the my ex, my ex girlfriend is a trained assassin story. Oh, that 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 was glorious. Back that was that was. I think that was episode seven. We did that on. We actually named the episode after that and everything. Uh, oh dear. So let me get this straight. His ex girlfriend may have been crazy, and now she's also been fraudulent. That's that's hilarious. Yes, right there. yes. Two charges each of wire fraud, mail fraud, and tax evasion. Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that more when Johnson's around next week, more <laughs> than likely. Speaking of it, Marcus Hoare asks, "Who replaces Joseph Newgarden at ECR if the Penske story is true?" Spencer Piggott. You, think, you reckon, yeah. Spencer, reckon Spencer keeps the seat? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. He, he, he's been he's been all right. You know, I, I think he's been pretty good for a first year in. Um, done a good job with it with ECR. Why not just keep? Um, pick it for like, another year. So, the so, only so, challenge I see maybe Anderson, like unless they really like want to splurge and like reach out and get you know Santiago. Sure, sure, that makes sense. But yeah, I think Pickett naturally makes a lot of sense. He's already got experience in the team, in the car. He's, he's shown improvement towards the end of the year. I'll be okay with Spencer Pickett in there. I don't have a problem with that. Um, we also had one more question for us on on Facebook, and that's our last question of the night. Thanks, everybody, for sending them in. Will Pierre Gasly be the only graduate to F1 from this season's crop of, G- of GP2? Oh, I don't even know if Gasly's gonna get a call up because even before the even before this weekend at the you know Singapore Grand Prix, Tor Russell felt very you know very confident Daniel Kvyat that they wanted to keep him on. Yeah, seems that way to me. I I, I, I think the whole kid. The whole, I think, Kvyat for Gasly thing's been overblown. And then Gasly didn't exactly help himself with that uh, misinformed comment about him possibly getting Kvyat's seat in F1. <laughs> that didn't help. I know that did not go down well in the Red Bull camp. Yeah. Um, the Gasly was talking about that so openly when there was nothing 
at all set in stone regarding Gasly's future and potentially F1 seats. I mean, GP2 is loaded for title contenders. I mean, we've got Sergei Sorokin in there, Oli Roland is in there, um, Antonio Giovinazzi is in the mix, um, Raphael Marchiello's in there as well. He's had F1 experience with Sal beforehand as well. I mean... <sighs> Like there's a lot of good names there, but I just don't think there's that many quality seats for them to go into. And I think that's the problem more than anything yeah. else here. That, like that, if if Gasly doesn't move up and no one moves up, it'll be a real wake up call for GP two. Yeah, because there's there's five or six guys there that easily could and probably should be in Formula One next year. Where I think that the lower end of the field, I think in general, just, just needs a bit of a clear out, to be honest with you. I think I mean, I'm not keen on guys like Marcus Ericsson. Felipe Naz has not really worked out that great. Jody and Palmer probably shouldn't be there. Um, you know, it goes on with that. So for me, I feel like that could be the struggle indeed. Um, and that will just about do it for this week's episode. Um, God, we nearly went two hours again. <laughs> Go us. We had to get a lot in this week, but I'm glad we did. Next week, we'll be talking a lot about MotoGP at Aragon, and it will be our IndyCar season review. And we'll be talking about Liberty F1's, or Liberty Media's plans for Formula One going forward. Just a reminder again, if you want to catch us anywhere else, we are on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Thanks again for everybody getting us to 1,000 subscribers. There's a lot more content there coming soon. King has promised he will do a Forza Horizon free review at some point. Yes. He said that on the first recording, so I'm holding him to that <laughs> I'm going to pester him like a, like a bastard about that now now he said that one because it saves me the trouble of having to do one instead um, I'm working on, on the next episode of, of the Dre Review as well at some point but, uh, spoiler alert for those guys because you've been so loyal listeners to listen all the way through this near two hour show it's going to be Wipeout Fusion on the PS2 so I'm very keen to yeah, I'm, I'm very keen to be going into what's known as basically pretty much like the black sheep of the Wipeout games in general, really. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that. Also, Johnson has promised he will do one for NASCAR Heat Evolution that came out this week as well. So you can look forward to some of that, um, possibly very, very soon. He will be recording that. So I'm going to his house on Sunday, so that kind of helps. Um, we'll be up there for that. So look forward to some of that as well. Of course, as our usual highlights, Dream Review episodes and all that good stuff. We're on Facebook at um, facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 we are on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 and of course our personal twitters me harrison 101 hd king ryan eric king that's with two k's and adam is at aj underscore bomber sports and of course if you really really like us you can back us on patreon as well um, at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 and of course you can listen to the podcast itself on soundcloud um, on itunes tune in and stitcher and we're also on the new xbox one app as well i think it's called cast we're on there yeah. so if you want to check us out on there too if you want to play us directly for your xbox you can do it on tune in and on the cast app as well so check that out if you get a chance as well but until next time i've been andre harrison he's been ryan king thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week sayonara bye Like I'm not really you are the world!